Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris. I'm co-founder of the online magazine, The Refined Woman, and my vision is to create a safe space where we can take off that Superman cape of having it all together and share our stories authentically and honestly. I really believe people are dying for the permission to be vulnerable, to just go there but it takes someone being willing to go there first. It's my desire to do just that and invite you and others to do the same by removing that shiny mask of perfection and courageously sharing the imperfect journeys of life, spirituality, love, business, and everything in between. Hello, welcome to the Refund Collective Podcast. Don't you love my singing voice? I really, really hope so. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of this tribe. I'm really excited about the conversation I had with Jenna Viviano that you are about to hear today. Gosh, some of my favorite parts of this episode, she, I mean, we kind of like hit on all the things. Her first job out of college was on Wall Street and the New York Stock Exchange. And then she made this massive career pivot to doing sales at themuse.com. And now she has this incredible entrepreneurial spirit in her own coaching business where she's had like 800 plus clients from all over the world. Homegirl is basically a baller. And we talked about what happens when you invest all this money in a college degree and then you get into your quote unquote dream job and realize, oh my gosh, I hate this. This isn't working. Like, how do I get out of this? We talk about her struggle with an eating disorder when she worked on Wall Street and what that looked like. We talked about her introduction into like a faith conversation and becoming a Christian and how her faith now collides with her work. Like what does faith and work integration actually look like? And then, you know, I asked her about her personal life too, y'all. We talked about love, love and relationships, singleness, all the things. So I just know you're going to be really encouraged by our conversation. And I'm just going to be full disclosure here. Like we ended up talking for 45 minutes after our podcast interview ended. And she just like coached me on my business. And I was furiously taking notes and have such incredible, insightful things to implement into my life, into my business. She is just an incredible woman. So let's get into that conversation. But one last thing before we do, um, I would love to ask you to go on iTunes real quick, press pause, then come back, search. You're already under the Refined Collective Podcast. If you are not subscribed to us, go ahead and subscribe. That way, when each new episode comes out every single week, you will just have it downloaded immediately on your phone and your computer. And then would you leave a five-star rating and a written review? I would just really, really appreciate it. The more reviews we get, the easier it is for people to find our podcast. So I just wanted to read you a recent review that we got actually today from a girl named Kate. She says, I love Kat and all of the important and thoughtful topics she covers. She is a trusted resource and asks big questions that frankly, everyone is curious about. She makes everyone feel seen and comfortable. Something very difficult to do from a recorded podcast that isn't even face-to-face. Highly recommended. 
Um, Kate, you are a dream. Thank you so much. And I share this not because I don't want to puff up myself. I don't need that. But I want to develop and foster this community and I want to serve you. And so these written reviews really help me see what are the topics you want to talk about? What matters to you? What doesn't matter to you? So go ahead, leave us a five-star rating and review. Subscribe. And let's get into today's conversation. Welcome to another episode of the Refine Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris. And today I have a fabulous woman on the podcast, Jenna Viviano. And full disclosure, this is the second time I'm recording this because I am lame and kept saying my guest's name wrong because I don't know how to read. She's an ex-Wall Streeter turned career coach and entrepreneur who helps go-getter professionals articulate their personal brand and career story to land their dream jobs. I did it. I made it. Jenna, (laughs) welcome. You did it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm pumped to be here. I'm so glad to have you. You're one of those people, when we connected online, I was like, Mm -hmm. you know when you're like, do I know that person? And then you're like, no, I don't know Beyonce. I just recognize her because (laughs) I've seen her a thousand times. Wow, thanks for comparing me to Beyonce. You're welcome. (laughs) You know, I always try to, every episode, try to get my Beyonce reference in, but I couldn't figure out how we knew each other. I was like, do I just, what, what, and, and, but we did really meet in person. We did years ago. We met at um, an event that our church, my church in New York was hosting um, with Marion Jordan Ellis and she's a rock star and you were there kind of with her. So that's how we met. Yes. Yes. I believe I was photographing that event. I think you were. Yeah. Yeah. I love her. She's amazing. So I was kind of, not kind of, I was not really overtly Christian with the refined woman for a lot of years. And that was my heart. I just felt like, you know, this, I'm in the fashion industry. I'm an editorial photographer. And yes, I have this faith conversation and I was a Bible major in college and I used Mm -hmm. to like speak and do stuff like that, but that's not my world anymore. And Marion was the first person who, this was like six years ago now, I didn't know her. She reached out to me and she's like, I believe that God has like a like a calling on your life to speak to women. And would you speak at my conference? And I was like, nope, I'm not your girl. And she was, she just saw me and really challenged me. And so I did speak at her conference, Redeemed Girls. And um, that relationship has been like pivotal for me for like kind of realizing, oh, like I can invite my faith into this aspect of, Mm -hmm. of my life. And there is something here. And, you know, now six years later, so much of what I do is like, it's no secret now that I'm a, I'm a woman of faith. (laughs) (laughs) No secret. And I love it. I love that you shared. I think you're very authentic in it and relatable and it, and it, we all go on our own faith journeys. And so so I totally, totally get where you're coming from. Yeah. So why don't you tell me a little bit? Well, first, I want to hear, I want to hear about your faith journey. And I want to hear about like ex-Wall Streeter, like how you got there. Like, did you wear pencil skirts every day and high heels? (laughs) And was it as like crazy as I think it is in my head? Uh, Well, I can first address the pencil skirt situation because I feel like that's easier to answer. I (laughs) was not a pencil skirt girl. And I definitely wore, like in my first job, I worked as an investment banker. Um, I didn't last very long for the record in that job. It was like 100 hour work weeks. And that's kind of part of my faith story. But I would show up to work in like 
bright pink blazers. <laughs> yes, you would. Because <laughs> I was just like, I am not going to be, I'm going to be color in a sea of black is what I kept telling yes. myself. I was so weird. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to be color in a sea of black. And then I moved on from there and I worked at the New York Stock Exchange. And I definitely kind of pushed the envelope a little bit about mm. what was like pro- appropriate for Wall Street wear, but I didn't really care. <laughs> You I was did like, it. I'm going to be me. I'm going to, I'm just going to be mean. If they don't like it, they don't like it. It's fine. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, Wall Street was really crazy. I think that there are some stereotypes that are true and there are a lot of stereotypes that are not mm. true or are, are not complete rather. Um, and so that was kind of a real gift where I got to see the difference of what, you know, the media portrays Wall Street to look mm. like and what actually getting to know people on the trading floor was like. Like I, some of those people are really, really amazing men and women, mostly men, but mm. <laughs> most men and women. And it just, it was an awesome experience and I don't regret it, but I never want to go mm. back if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So what do you feel like was your biggest struggle being in that environment? What was the hardest part about being in that setting? Besides the 100-hour work weeks, because I feel like I would just die. Like, I would last two days. Yeah, I think, so that is, I mean, I actually developed a really bad eating disorder, if you want to go real, Mm. real quickly. Yeah, we're getting real, always. I developed a really bad eating disorder working on Wall Street because of the stress. And so that was one component. It's a huge, massive component. Happy to, Mm. you know, talk about that more. But I think for me, why I didn't thrive on Wall Street for like the long term was that I really wasn't living out my gifts. (laughs) Like I wasn't Mm. using the things I was really good at. I was using skills and qualities that I was told would be beneficial in the long run. So like I went to college Mm. and my parents, bless them, but they didn't really know what they were doing. I was first generation in my immediate family to go to college. And they kind of said to me, "Um, we think that finance would be a really good option for you. You're going to make good money doing that. Like we didn't really have a lot of context for it. Mm. Um, And so... I kind of went into finance kind of blindly and then got landed this job in investment banking. And I really wasn't good at finance. Like Wall Street mm. is a terrible place to learn that you're really bad at finance. Like not a great place. It's like a very high pressure situation to be like, yes. I am dying inside. Yes, pretty much. Um, and so I realized, you know, as a kid, I was I was always creating something, which is funny that I, I also have a podcast. And when I was a kid, I used to create like these talk shows that I would make my dad film. And so like I was That's always amazing. creating and building and I was very musical as a young kid. I was in theater. There was no part of me that was like, you should be on Wall Street, like nothing. Mm. So I think that was the hardest part about working on Wall Street was because it wasn't necessarily like the environment. It was just that I wasn't really suited to do that type of work. It wasn't really what I was gifted at. I could do it, but I wasn't good at it. Was it one of those things that you didn't know you weren't gifted at until you were in there. And like one mm-hmm. of one of the things I think of in my own career trajectory is, you know, I was a fashion major at first and then I transferred schools, became a Bible major. I wanted mm-hmm. to be the next Beth Moore. And then <laughs> I was like, yeah, love that Beth Moore. My, that's my, I, oh my gosh, love her. <laughs> then I, lots of twists and turns, but why I moved to New York is I wanted to be an editorial photographer. I moved out here to be, to get representation. I had like my top 20 dream clients that yeah. I was like, if I get these, these clients, like, oh my gosh, like this is what I really want. Sure. And within that first year, I got most of those clients mm-hmm. and I was like, I freaking hate this. Like this Isn't is funny when that happens when like the yes. thing that you think is going to fulfill you doesn't actually fulfill you. That happens yes. to me all the time. 
I was like, oh my gosh, like, like I'd find myself like backstage at these fashion shows or on these editorial sets. And I just felt like, I don't like this energy. Mm -hmm. I feel like my creativity was dying. Like I felt that I I was just being hired to like press a button instead of Mm -hmm. like, you know, the old times of me just taking a model out, like doing our own thing. Um, And so I felt super conflicted because I was like, I've invested all this time, all this money. And my trajectory has been this thing. And I didn't know that this isn't what I wanted until I was in it. And Mm -hmm. so saying all that, I wonder for you, you Mm know, you spent all this money on college and, Mm -hmm. you know, you get this degree and then you're in Wall Street and then it's like, uh uh-oh. So did you know that you weren't leaving your gifts? Like, how did you figure that out? And what was it like? Was it hard for you to leave that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think my first job was like the, one of the biggest pivot points that I had in my career that's really related to my faith. So I grew up kind of in a a Presbyterian home. So we went to church every Sunday. I grew up in the Northeast, which is very different than the South. Christian Christian culture in the North versus Christian culture in the South is very different. Um, So we just went to church and, you know, it was a part of our life and we were involved with our church. I was in youth group, but I don't think I really connected, really understood what being a woman of faith really looked like or really understood what mm. the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is what I believe, like actually meant for my life and how to live mm. that out. Um, and I was working in this first job in investment banking. I was, you know, working 100 hours a week. I was had this really nasty eating disorder that reared its ugly head, kind of told me all the time that I was not enough. Mm. Um, and I remember sitting on the bathroom floor of my company. I won't tell you the address, even though I remember the address, the exact <laughs> floor that I was on when this happened. It was a Saturday morning. And I remember my head was rested. I mean, I had just had, I was, um, transparently was bulimic and I just kind of had an mm. episode in the bathroom and I was at work and I had to go right back out and kind of finish what I was doing for the work day. Oh, so terrible, awful. And mm. I remember, um, sitting there and being like, God, I don't know if you're real but if you are, you have got to get me out of here. Mm. And that was kind of that low point where you're like, I can't really hit much more of a rock bottom than Mm. this. I'm not confident in myself. I'm zapped. You had mentioned zapped of all creativity. Like I felt that very deeply. Mm. Um, And my version of like Christianity at that time was like, there was a Tim Tebow poster in my cubicle. Like that was- Yes. Oh man. Days of Tim Tebow. Yes. It was very, very shallow. Like it was very like, I wasn't really connecting it to my life. It was just like this mm. thing out there. And I really wasn't sure how, how I should live out my faith or how I could live out my faith and how it could radically transform and wreck my life until mm. I was on that floor. And mm. a couple of weeks later, um, after I said that, like, God, are you real? Quote, um, I had a sorority sister of mine from my college um, reached out to me and said, hey, we have this job opening at the New York Stock Exchange. I think you would really be good at it and you need to get out of that place. <laughs> mm. And so it was wow. like this gift opening up where like I wasn't doing any real networking. I wasn't like I really wasn't doing much because I didn't have time. I was working all mm. hours of the night. And I remember going to that um, interview. I got an interview at the New York Stock Exchange and I had been on what I call a work bender where I was probably working the night before to like 2 a.m., which was pretty typical. Mm. And I had an 8 a.m. interview. I had no preparation. Jeez. It was the worst interview I've ever Ugh. gone on. They asked me a question in, in the interview that was a pretty typical standard finance question that you would get asked. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of looked at the managing director and I had tears in my eyes and I was like, I honestly don't know. I'm so tired. <laughs> oh, bless it. 
<laughs> so it was there that um, for whatever reason, they saved me from investment banking. And mm. it took me about a year to get my confidence back at the New York Stock wow. Exchange. And so while I realized while I was working there that I wasn't really good at finance, it was like, I looked at my colleague and she was really good at like analyzing data and she loved that. And my favorite part of my job was getting to tour CEOs around the New York Stock Exchange. Mm. So I wasn't going to be a tour guide, but I realized, I think in that moment that I just, it was not really a, um, it wasn't a good fit for me. I wasn't the finance girl. I didn't have that mindset. I was really good at being relational. I was really good at people praise me for um, like my ability to just kind of relate to people, to connect with people. Mm. And then one day they threw me um, in front of a camera, which I'd never done any camera work before. So if someone ever gives you an opportunity, just say yes, even if you have no clue what to do. (laughs) (laughs) We want you to report live from the trading floor. And um, I know, so random. We had these webcasts that we offered to companies who were about to IPO. So when a company would have their IPO, we would live stream back to their employee base so their employees could be involved in the IPO process, which was pretty cool. But that process can take five minutes. It can take a half an hour. It could take an hour. Like you had to ad lib Mm. the whole entire time. And I'm like, what am I going to talk about? (laughs) Oh my gosh. But I realized that during that time frame, they helped me rebuild my confidence back up. Mm. um, And I was able to actually see like, I'm actually really good at these things. And I'm really not great at these things. Instead of me trying to fix all the things that are wrong with me, quote unquote, why don't I just lean into the things that I'm really good at? And that's when I feel like I started to get clarity around what my gifting was. So it really wasn't until about two and a half, three years into my career did I realize I was really bad at finance and I really should do Mm. something else. (laughs) (laughs) So like from there, what did that transition out look Mm -hmm. like? for you. So, you know, now you're an entrepreneur and I feel like so many women like Mm -hmm. come to me and ask me, you know, they see, oh my gosh, you have this business. Like, Mm -hmm. when do I take my side hustle to the main hustle, you know? And when do you take that leap? And I also think, by the way, that people think being an entrepreneur is way more sexy than it is. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) I know I worked for a guy for years in the photography world and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to start my own business. I'm going to have such better boundaries than him. I am going to work from like nine to two every day and then go to the beach, (laughs) you know? And I remember him saying, you know, it's going to be a lot harder than you think. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you don't know anything. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how young we are and prideful, right? (laughs) Right. Um, My first year of business, I think I made like $12,000 and just was like barely inching by, like ended up starting coaching tennis again in Mm -hmm. Newport Beach, California, because I couldn't afford it. And my first year in New York made around $15,000 was sharing a bed with my best friend because we were both so broke. Oh, um, gosh, yeah. And so I just, I think we have this like culture of, you know, we're very individualistic. Everyone has their brand, their personal brand. We mm-hmm. want to chase our dreams. And so I'm all about it. Clearly, I, I run two businesses, but I think that it, like, I always want to like tell people like, it's a lot harder than you think it's going to be like mm-hmm. my boss was telling me. And, you know, there's there's a lot of give and take. Um, mm-hmm. So what was that process like for you? Like, mm-hmm. I'm also don't want to be tacky here, but I'm assuming you're working yeah. in the finance industry. You're making a really good living. Yeah, totally. And to go from tacky, that no, I like to, talking money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're like, you know, those uh-huh. those folks are, you know, you're you're getting your first job out of college and it's like, I mean, I have friends in the finance industry. They're 
opening salary is 250K plus commission. And I'm like, yeah. what in the world? Yeah. Okay, that wasn't so, my story for sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's not an investment banking analyst salary. I mean, mine, actually my salary, like whenever I look back on that, if you really calculate the hours that I was working, it was like mm. less than minimum wage, way less oh than minimum wage. So yeah, you can say that people work a lot of hours, but I have a lot of empathy for people, especially in analyst mm. roles, that it's like the, the grunt. You're basically a glorified PowerPoint maker and Excel builder. Like that's mm. all you do all day long. And then you wait for comments from your senior leaders and then you do the mm. process all over again. And so wow. I have a lot of empathy for people that are on finance. I know there's a lot of opinions about that, but mm. going through it myself, like having to work on the holidays, having to, I was working um, till almost midnight on New Year's Eve, my first oh, year. It was terrible. It was awful. That's awful. Um, and so for me, I think the transition, I actually wanted to start my own business. I had no idea what I wanted it to be right before I transitioned out of the New York Stock Exchange. I just like wanted to quit everything and I just wanted to start, a, start my own thing. My dad's an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. It was kind of in my genes. And I remember I contacted a professor of mine from college and she's been super supportive of me over the years. And she said, I really don't think that's a great idea. <laughs> One, you really <laughs> don't have an idea. And like that feels like a lot of pressure living in New York. So I kind of was thinking about it and I was really praying about it, honestly, like, God, what do you have for me? Um, Because when I worked at the New York Stock Exchange, I actually had a coworker that, for lack of a better phrase, ministered to me or talked to me about who Jesus was Mm -hmm. and invited me. And that's really how I feel like I, um, my faith kind of totally switched, switched over to like, oh my gosh, this is really like a huge part of my life. Like, I really believe this to be true. How do I actually live this out? And it was because of a coworker working on Wall Street. Wait, can Um, we pause there? Yeah, totally. What did she do? It was a he, (laughs) actually, it was a he. What did he do? Um, Because I'm always like, yeah. I I became a Christian when I was 16 and I'm from the South. Like I, a very cliche, like I, my Christian friends invited me to church camp and I went to church camp and I was like, oh my gosh, Jesus is real. Um, So I'm always fascinating hearing about people who have like that experience, like in their 20s or 30s, 40s, 50s. Like what did that look like? Yeah. So I was really broken at that time. I had really no confidence whatsoever. And mm. I was just searching. I think I had tried mm. out a couple of churches because I remember feeling good when I was younger, when I went to my church mm. growing up. And that was like my only, only like significant, like feeling towards it really. Mm. Um, and I kind of, I think I might've mentioned something to somebody at work about how I was trying to find a church. And I think mm. he heard that. And, mm. and he started talking to me about it. And I was like, I don't really don't know what I believe. And he's like, I really think that you should come to this um, retreat that this organization, it's called Crew. Um, so if you're, they have Crew in colleges, but they have had this new kind of pilot program called Crew Millennials. And um, they had like retreats and they had like, just like really parties, like ways for people to get connected. And so mm. my networking <clears throat> self was like, that sounds like a really great idea, but I'm definitely not going on this retreat with a bunch of Christians. Christians are weird. Like I'm definitely <laughs> not doing this. Um, and, and I, and he just kept asking me, he was just like, Hey, I really think that you would really enjoy it. And I remember we were on like a, they had like a outing, a finance outing. We were on like some massive, we were on some like boat having like a happy hour, which is so mm-hmm. finance New York. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I remember we were kind of him and I were just chit chatting and I was kind of telling him a little bit about what was going on in my life and just feeling frustrated. And he was like, I really, really, I'm really, I'm so last time I'm really going to say, but I really think you should go on this, on this um, retreat. And I was like, Ugh, fine, I'll go. If he'll stop talking to me about it, I'll go. <laughs> and I went on this retreat and the woman who picked me up from the train station, I knew one person, one other person, I think the whole entire trip. Um, and which was a pretty big endeavor to agree to looking back. Like it was totally. like a three day weekend situation or two day weekend situation. And the woman who picked me up from the train station, her name is Carrie. 
And she just poured into me afterwards. She's like, mm. I would really love to meet with you. I'd love to chat with you with us. What's going on in your life? And then over the next kind of two to three years, we sat over many a tear-stained salad. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, and she just met me where I was. She answered my questions mm. that I had. But it was because of the catalyst of that coworker who had the audacity and the boldness and the kindness to invite me into his life, introduce me to his friends. And that's really how I got to know the gospel for what I know it to be, right? Mm. Um, and it was just, he wasn't like Bible beating me. He wasn't telling me I was doing all these things wrong. Like I was, I mean, I was hooking up with coworkers. Like I was just a caught mess. Like I was just not <laughs> a great version of myself. And he was never judging me, but he was always just asking questions. And he mm. just invited me in to, to his life and showed up as a whole person and mm. authentically just like, this is who I am. I believe in Jesus. And that's that. And like, it was just that simple. Mm. Um, and so for me, I think I took that information and I was like, that had had a profound effect on my life. How do I like live that out in my next mm. career move? Um, which kind of led me a long windy path to starting my own career coaching business because I ended up uh, making a massive pivot from finance into sales at a startup out of New York City called themuse.com. Have you heard of it before? I have heard of the Muse. Yeah. yeah, it's a great career advice site. It's my I still I still mm. promote it all the time. They have like jobs mm. that you can check out. You can look at inside the companies to see if you ever want to work there. If the culture looks interesting to you, so oh, cool. it's a really really cool company. But I like went from finance to sales. I had like girlfriend had no sales experience, (laughs) no formal sales experience. And um, I made this kind of massive, massive pivot. And people started asking me like, how do you do that? Um, And so I kind of started giving advice and then I started charging for that. And then I grew that side hustle up over two years, kind of to what you were talking about. Like, how do you know when it's time to go? Um, I grew that side hustle for over two years and really started to figure out like, how do I integrate my faith at work to how do I make this part of it? And how do I teach people how to find fulfillment and work? Because that was such a huge part of my personal story and my professional story. Like God wrecked me for the ordinary of just having like a humdrum job of just going straight up the corporate ladder and hitting CEO one day. Like he was going to wreck me and trying to figure out a different way to to reach me. And so basically what that looked like was I, I finally decided after two years that it was it was time to make that pivot and actually like, okay, God, I think that you have this for me. I think this is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. I'm going to trust that you're going to bring the monies in. I've For a long time, I thought about my job being the provider, but really the reality is God is my provider. And that mindset shift helped me take bigger risks from taking that side hustle to full hustle. Okay, all my single ladies, listen up. Raise your hand if dating as a single woman of faith in today's swipe right, swipe left culture has been a struggle fest. I've experienced it at all from being stuck in the friend zone like it was my job to my dating life looking like the Sahara Desert to awkward setups to heartache to being ghosted and pretty much everything in between. But you know what I've discovered? It doesn't have to be this way. Truly. I know you're like, cat. you don't know me. You don't know my story. And you're right. But I know mine and I know what it's like to feel hopeless in this area of my life. And I know what it's like to move into my season of singleness and dating with hope and clarity and practical tools and freedom. And over the last few years, I've literally journeyed with thousands of women all over the world and walking into more freedom and purpose in their dating life. So I created a free guide for you to help you jumpstart your dating life and get unstuck. It's called Six Tips to Activate Your Dating Life. You can grab it for free at bit.ly slash trw dating tips. 
In this guide, I will teach you the biggest mindset shift that will transform how you show up in your dating life. And then I'm gonna show you how to get unstuck in your relationships. I know you wanna meet a quality guy, but it's like, how, right? I got you, girl. Then the number one thing you can start doing today that will radically transform your season of singleness. And lastly, the three things I wish someone would have told me 10 years ago about dating. This guide is for you if you're a woman of faith that longs for a meaningful relationship but have no idea how to get there. Is that you? Then go ahead and go to bit.ly slash TRW dating tips and grab my free guide, six tips to activate your dating life. What was the biggest mindset shift that you had to overcome in that, Mm -hmm. like specifically with like financial provision? Like what fear did you have? Like what came up for you in that? Yeah, I think like a lot of people, when you go and make a big drastic career change that could affect your income, you're like, oh my gosh, am I going to like totally fail at this? And I'm going to make no money. I'm going to end up on the side of the road Mm, with like destitute. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. the reality was, is I knew that I, I one had to believe in myself that I was capable Mm. of being quote unquote successful or like making ends meet just very barely, right? At least could do that. I was very confident in myself in that. And then I also realized that I had to trust in the Lord. And like in, in, in the Bible, God talks a lot about like, test me, test me here, Mm. test me that I will show up monetarily. And so I was like, all right, God, I'm going to test you. Yes. (laughs) You're show up monetarily because I'm doing this. I moved out of New York city. I moved to Nashville, Tennessee, started my business full time, lived by myself for the first time, had like two friends in Nashville. Like I changed everything in my life. And I was like, I feel like you're, I feel like I'm supposed to be here. I have peace about it. Mm-hmm. But I'm a little anxious about how that money is going to come in. So I think for mm-hmm. me, it was just a combination of realizing that I was capable of it, that God had gifted me in a certain way. It was my calling and that he ultimately was provider. So I either had to believe that or I wasn't going to believe it. So that was one mm-hmm. way that I was like trying to live out what I believe scripture says, what the Bible says. Yeah, oh, that's so good. And so what does that look like for you now to mm-hmm. integrate your faith with your work? Like, yeah. I think a huge thing that has shifted for me since living in New York, I was a part of a nine month fellowship that was all about like faith and work integration. Mm. And one of the, one was of the awesome? big, yes, I was a I part was of Gotham. Gotham. Oh, really? Yeah. Here in Nashville though. So yeah, that's so oh, funny. No way. That's amazing. Yeah. It was, well, I don't know how it was for you, but definitely a very transformative time in my life. Yeah. And I just remember having, you know, conversations with my pastor that was leading the program and him really challenging, like, what does it mean to have a Christian worldview? Mm -hmm. And what's the goal at work? Is it Mm -hmm. to get people to bow their head and pray a prayer? Well, Mm -hmm. I grew up in the South and that was like the goal is like you get people to church. Like the goal is conversion, which (laughs) by the way is like kind of a manipulative like agenda to have underneath. Like, do I want to be friends with this person or do I have this like underlying agenda to quote unquote fix, save, like Mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. And I just remember my pastor really challenging me. Like, you know, if we look at the, the story of the Bible, it's a story of like brokenness to redemption to Mm -hmm. renewal. Mm -hmm. And so what does that mean for our industries? So Yes, it means like, let's build relationships with people we're working at. But what does it mean to have like a mindset shift of, I want to look at the fashion industry with a redemptive 
worldview. Like what is Mm -hmm. broken? What is not working? And how can I be a part of renewal within that? What does that look like in the finance industry? Mm -hmm. And so I feel like, and, and then outside of all of that, like, like God is the one that changes people, right? God changes hearts. God meets people where they're at. It's like, I just get to show up. But like, I also, Mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of Christians kind of show up in their work in sloppy ways. And then mm-hmm. they do this like weird spiritual bypass thing where they're like, well, I'm just going to pray about it. Yeah. And I'm like, or like, why don't you get better at your job? Like yeah. take that class or start showing up on time, like have integrity. Yeah. Like it's yeah. no wonder you have no voice or influence. Like yeah. you have no excellence in what you're doing. And excellence reflects our creator because God is not a lazy God. Yeah. So I'm curious for you, because um, it sounds like, you know, you had this faith collision experience at your work, mm-hmm. you know, and I know that your job now isn't like, you're not like, I'm a Christian, you know, yeah. <laughs> coach and I like, you know, yeah. you are an entrepreneur and you're a businesswoman. Yeah. And what does that look like for you? And how do you unpack that? Yeah, I think kind of going back to what you said with what just Christians in general, um, I think that generally speaking, a lot of us kind of take two different stances on how you can like use your faith at work. We either have literally no clue. So it's actually three, literally have no clue what to do. <laughs> we either stay silent or we like think that it looks like Bible beating. And we usually don't want to do the mm. Bible beating or like drop a, you know, like drop a Bible in like the, the restroom or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like neither one of those things. It's so much better and so much richer than that. And it kind of goes along the line of like, we first we need to think about internally for ourselves. Are we using our gifts and talents? Are we like actually calling that out in other people as well? Are we, are we thinking about the things that we learn on Sunday and actually incorporating it into Monday? Or are we leaving like Jesus in the parking lot at 9 a.m. and picking him up at 5 p.m. and like not thinking about him during the day? <laughs> mm. So I think there's a lot of that reframing how we think about how we show up at work. And so for me personally, um, I actually have recently been asking God a lot of questions of like, God, what do you have to say about work? Like you were talking mm. a lot about the redemptive narrative and I think that's absolutely true. But other than that, like what else do you have to say about work? Mm. And when I was really kind of reflecting on that and doing study and researching just all the different things because I find it super fascinating, if I really think about it, God talks about rest. He talks about provision. He talks about mm. inviting him into all areas of your life. That includes your work. He talks mm. about praying for your team. So yes, absolutely pray for your team and also put action behind it. Love your coworkers, love your boss. Pray for your boss who's like your sandpaper person. Who you're like, you are so annoying and I really am annoyed <laughs> with you right now. But like, let's pray for like reconciliation in that. What am I mm. doing wrong in that? So it's just taking that more redemptive lens to the whole entire experience. Um, it doesn't look like just evangelism at work. It looks like, what are my idols? What's What am I like resting my identity in? Um, what's my calling and purpose? How does generosity play into it? I mean, excellence, it all kind of plays into it. God has so much to say about work. And mm. I think we just often compartmentalize our work and our personal life because we just like almost don't know how to engage or mesh the two, mm-hmm. but it really just shows like showing up as a whole person. So all of my clients know that I'm a believer, but none of my clients ever feel, and they can tell me if, they, if that's different, but I always have to ask them the question, like, have you ever felt like I've preached to you? No. The answer is always no. It's just, mm-hmm. I've showed up as a whole person and that's just a part of my story. It's a part mm-hmm. of why my business existed. And most of my clients are not actually Christians. They're not actually people of faith. Um, they maybe believe something else or, and that's lovely. And we have really lovely conversations if they want to engage. And mm-hmm. so I've had some really cool conversations with people 
just kind of where they are in life and just speaking mm-hmm. truth over them without necessarily being like, here, and you were saying this earlier before we hopped on, like, here is John 3.16. This is exactly mm-hmm. how you should think about it. Yeah. It's more just speaking truth where they're believing lies about themselves. And mm-hmm. that's really what a lot of the Bible is. And, it, and the Bible tells us to love our neighbor. And oftentimes when we're at work, our neighbor is our coworker. Absolutely. One thing that I like a a verse I hold on to so dearly is it's in Isaiah 55. It says, Mm -hmm. as the water comes down from the heavens and does not go back up, like as the rain comes down from the heavens and Mm -hmm. does not go back up until it yields fruit, until there's, you know, vegetables for the farmer and like Mm -hmm. bread for the sower. That's how God's word is. Like God's word never turns back void and it never goes back to the heavens until it's accomplished that which God purposed. And I find so much freedom in that and so mm-hmm. much permission. And I, I, that is where I'm like, wow, like when I walk into a space, mm-hmm. like I have the opportunity to, with my energy, with sure. my words, with my work ethic, I mm-hmm. get to, I'm inviting people into a story constantly. Yes. I'm inviting people into a truth or a lie constantly, whether mm-hmm. that's, I, and it's, this is one of the original reasons why I got into fashion photography is I felt like, man, this is an industry where, you know, people are told they matter because of what they are, what they Mm -hmm. look like, what size they are, what their status is, what they have to offer other people, how much money is in their bank account, um, that they are only valuable because of external things, improving, hustling. And I just felt like I want to be a different dialogue in that space because Mm -hmm. truth resonates and truth empowers and truth transforms. And so what does it mean for me to go into a space, whether I am on set shooting or whether I am on the subway, on a sweaty subway, Mm -hmm, (laughs) like mm -hmm. cattle car experience or talking to my banker or a tax person on the phone that I'm really angry with. Like, what does it mean for me to show up and and invite someone into like hope and truth? And I think that's been like one of the biggest ways for me that I've try to integrate my faith um, at my work is, you know, I think I talk to a lot of girls and they're like, I want to go into ministry or Mm -hmm. I want to be a missionary. And I'm like, like literally like we're all like ministry is just like living your life intentionally. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. just be intentional and be present. Um, What do you, what do you think about that when people are talking about like, well, like I want to like, be, I want to do missions or I want to be in ministry. It's really funny. And I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people have this misconception that you can only be ministering to people if you're in ministry. Mm. (laughs) And I believe that every single person has different, different giftings and talent and they are doing ministry in their specific areas of work. So if you're in finance Mm. and you're an accountant and you're like, I really am not like, I don't know how to live out my, you are, you're live. you can do that in that workspace as mm. much as the person that is in full-time quote unquote traditional ministry is. Mm. And I also think that a lot of, I see this a lot with women and maybe it's just cause again, I, now I live in the South and I think that there's only like a couple of jobs that people kind of tee up for women that they can kind of do. 
Mm. Like, you know, like youth ministry, you should be, and that's, we need those. Those are so important. And also you might be gifted somewhere else too. So explore that and know that the, the Lord isn't like mad at you. <laughs> if you want to not be in full-time ministry and you really feel like you're called to do this X, Y, Z other thing, that's maybe mm. not at all in that specific sector, but it is kind of in a totally different sector where you want to shine light into that, bringing that kind of redemption to a broken industry. Um, and that's definitely yeah, what absolutely. my colleague who was kind of talking to me about, because he showed up as a whole person and his workplace in finance. He was using his mm. giftings. He was using his talent. He showed up as a whole person and he infected my life. I wouldn't be talking to you today if that didn't happen. Mm. Yeah. And so wow. I think I think that that I think we all are called to ministry. We're all called to do that. It just looks different for different mm. people in different vocations. Mm. Yeah, I think that's so important to distinguish. And I think we have so much freedom and permission and authority to mm-hmm. go out and try things. And I yeah. I always love the, you know, John Piper says, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. Mm-hmm. And like me tapping into my unique wirings is, mm-hmm. you know, Genesis 1 says, you know, God breathed life into creation. God breathed yeah. life into humanity. And, and he called humanity like very good mm-hmm. and that like we reflect our creator. So like yeah. within me, I am pulsing my creator. So yeah. part of me tapping into whether it's like, oh my gosh, like, this person, like you are an accountant and that lights you up and you are really good at it. Like that, you doing accounting to the best of your ability is like reflecting an aspect of who God is to the world. Yeah, And I think we, we try to over-spiritualize life. Yeah. And <laughs> like reality is like, it's not less spiritual to be really, really good at interior decorating. Like use it, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. do it really, really well. And yeah. um, it's not like less Christian or God's not like, oh man, you should be doing, you know, X, Y, Z. Like yeah. I think we have so much more freedom and permission than yeah, we, sure. I think we're uptight about things and God isn't. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you about one story specifically. Um, I had a client of mine who actually was a Christian and he kind of led with that. He was like, I chose choosing you because I know that you're very vocal about your faith and that's important to me. And we were preparing for an interview and he hadn't really, he hadn't moved forward. He had done a ton of interviews before and he had couldn't like mm. crack the code. He couldn't figure out why he couldn't get asked back. Mm. And so him and I were prepping for it and I asked him to kind of tell me about yourself. And he was like, oh, I just really hate talking about myself. It feels so not humble. And I hear that from a lot of Christians of talking about Mm. their skills and their gifts is like, I'm just not being humble. And while I'm not telling everybody to be like a braggart, like that's not, we don't want that. It is your, it is being disobedient and kind of an insult to the creator. If you're not celebrating the gifts that God has given you, because at the end of the day, like I didn't do anything to have these gifts. Like I was given them. And so for Mm. me not to live them out and for me not to celebrate them in a way that is not going to be like look at me, but it's instead, look at God, look what God mm. gifted me with. And I get to use this to help other people, to help missions, to help um, an organization move forward, to bring life where there's maybe darkness. Like that is your responsibility. And it is an insult to the creator if you don't celebrate that. That's so right. for anyone who's listening, that's like, oh, I don't want to talk about myself because it's so not humble. Well, you're not talking about yourself. You're talking about what God has done through you that's and right. in you. And that is a blessing and a gifting. Come on, say it for the people in the back. Come on, come on, girl. Um, okay, there's two more things I want to yeah. talk with you about. One is I want to revisit the conversation about your eating disorder. Yeah. Um, what has I had an eating disorder in college mm-hmm. and after, um, and it you know was a years process of a healing journey for mm-hmm. me. 
I would love to hear what did healing from that look like? Where are you at now? Mm -hmm. It was a really long time. So it started when I was interning for investment banking, and then it continued through that senior year, and it got really bad whenever I was in that first year. And so um, it was probably like a seven-year battle, I would say, with disordered mm-hmm. eat, with a um, eating disorder and then disordered eating thoughts, which I'm sure mm-hmm. you're experienced with that. You know what that's like. It's just like it sucks up your whole life. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so for me, it was a lot of processing. I did go to counseling, which was super helpful for me. I went to health coaching as well, which was super helpful for me. And then I just got in the Word, got into the, my Bible and like, what does God actually say about me? What is my identity actually in? And mm-hmm. I started to rewire my brain. And I realized that I had a lot of expectations for myself that were not what God had of me. And that's why my eating disorder was really around control. It really wasn't about Mm. like looking beautiful. (laughs) It was like, I wanted control where I felt like I was out of control. Mm. Um, And so I can honestly say that I have, I was actually just talking to my boyfriend about this. And I said, if you knew me three years ago, we would not be I would not be comfortable mm. around you. Like I would constantly be thinking about what am I eating? Is it going to make me fat? Is someone going to like me? Like I just wouldn't be able to get out of my head. Mm. And I can honestly say it was like almost like right when I moved to Nashville, um, it like all shut off. I don't know what it mm. is, <laughs> what it was exactly. But for me, um, I like don't think about what I'm eating. I think part of it came down to, I actually stopped following, I think they're super helpful, like a lot of body positivity accounts. I think they're super helpful. Mm. But for me, at the stage that I was in, keeping on like kind of consuming that information was actually pushing me back. Mm. And so when I kind of shut off a lot of those Instagram accounts or those magazines where it only talked about body positivity, it kept on like bringing me back to the body. Instead of actually healing me, it just kept making me think Mm. about it. And it was almost Mm. like I just stopped thinking about or stopped having like triggers in front of me. And that helped Mm. me get out of that cycle. Yeah, that's really powerful. And if there was like a moment where you were like, oh, I really have a problem. Mm -hmm. Because I think, you know, I remember the first time I threw up and I was like, I probably like shouldn't be doing this. And also it like was terrible. Like I was never good at throwing up. And (laughs) I think I've like, even, even today I've like, I can't throw up anymore. I think I like ruined my gag reflexes, but like I would have like bloodshot eyes. Like Uh it just was like not a great experience. But did you have like a moment where you're like, I need help. Like Mm -hmm. this is not normal. Honestly, I think it was that bathroom floor moment because mm. I remember looking at myself in the mirror and I had to go out and finish working and I had like broken capillaries around my eyes. Oh, man. And I was just like, I was a hot, hot mess. Mm. A hot mess. And I was like, I have got to get help. And the only way I know how to get help is to get out of here. That's the first step because mm. I can't go to counseling while I'm working 100 hours a week. I can't, like, mm. I knew that I needed help. Um, and I think for me, it was like sitting on that bathroom floor. I was like, this is not what a thriving life looks mm-hmm. like. And I did not want, this is not what I work so hard for. Like, this yeah. is not worth it. I don't care how much money I'm getting paid. I don't ha- care how much people think I'm important. Um, cause I had mm-hmm. a lot of pride wrapped up in that job. Um, I don't care how much people think that I'm important or whatever it looks like. Like if I don't fix this, like this could be really detrimental for my health. Yeah. Wow. I just, you know, acknowledge you for the courage it took for you to, you know, get out of there. And, you know, I think when you're, when I was in the middle of healing, Mm -hmm. it would be, you know, like three steps forward, four steps back, two steps sideways, two steps up. Like, and I think like so many girls now will email me and they're like, you know, I just feel like this is always just going to be a part of my story. And to that, I just say like, it does not have to be like that. I know that feeling, Mm -hmm. but like, stay the course and like, and Mm -hmm. keep, you know, choosing like step by step, breath by breath health. 
And I also think like, just because you make a mistake and take a a fall backwards doesn't mean you're back at square one. Like, I think that is like such a lie that I've believed in all areas, whether whatever the struggle is, I'm like, Mm. like, you know, I like still am looking for validation from guys. Like, and I'm like, okay, no, it looks way different than it looked 10 years ago. And I realized it way quicker. And you know, um, but I think, uh, I don't know. I think as women, we just judge ourselves so harshly. Yeah. There is hope. That's the biggest thing that I think I learned from this where I'd seen, yeah. I didn't see a lot of people ahead of me that were maybe like getting healed. And I was like, I do not want this to be the narrative. I do not want this to be cross-generational. I do not want to pass yeah. this on to my daughter. Like this is not, if I, God blesses me with one, I would love that, but I'm not, mm-hmm. it stops here. The buck stops yes. here. We are not continuing this on. And I kind of put that stake in the ground and I was like, I'm going to do everything I need to do to get healing. Mm, that's so great. Um, okay. Last topic. I know we're like running out of time, but I can't not talk with you about this. Yes. Um, you have a boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I do. He's so great. He's a tall oh man. He's just loving water. I love him. <laughs> yes, girl. Preach it. Um, so I just would love to hear, you shared a little bit before we started recording, uh-huh. you know, your history with dating. And uh-huh. the the reality is we, as women, and humans, like Mm -hmm. we're living longer, marrying later, more educated than we've ever been before. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I just did a podcast episode on this called Babies, Botox, and Body Image, where, you know, I'm 34. Uh, Mm -hmm. If I'm single and I don't get married in two months and get pregnant before I'm 35, I'm a geriatric pregnancy case, you know? Yeah. Um, And so I just was super encouraged by what you shared before we got online about your story. Because I think, you know, if the thing is like why a story is important is because if it's, if it's possible for you, then it's possible for me. If God did it for you, he can do it for her, you know? It's actually funny. So I've been single for pretty much my whole, I didn't have like an official boyfriend. I had a lot of situationships mm. is what I call them. Like they're not quite relationships. They're not quite there yet, but you like, there's something going on and like no one's mm. going to talk about it. <laughs> yep. I was in a lot of those in my twenties. And honestly, I think during the healing process of my eating disorder, the, the I feel like the Lord kept people from being interested in me. And I think mm. I was really healthy looking back at the time. I was really ticked about it, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I didn't have like a boyfriend since I was like 18 years old, like high school like an official boyfriend, girlfriend situation. And Mm -hmm. I was like, it was hard. It was really hard for me. I'm about to turn 30. um, And I just met Brent in um, March of this year. Um, And so I think for me, the biggest struggle was just like waiting. And I loved your episode with Jessica. I don't know what number it is. Um, Jessica Shakir, is that, that's how you're Mm -hmm. saying? Wait, pray, love. Oh, it was like, it was like came at such a timely point where I was like, yes, I'm going to pray into this. Yes, God, you Mm -hmm. have this for me. Like I was just like preaching over myself after listening to that episode, which by the way, she really lives out her faith and work and a different different story. But I think the big thing for me was when I was in New York City, um, I got actually had guys that were friends, which they really weren't friends looking back, say to me like, well, you're just intimidating. Because I had this, mm. like I was a Wall Street girl. I worked at the New York Stock Exchange. I was like moving and shaking and building a business. I love talking about work. And like the guys just like were not having it. I actually had mm. someone to me like, that's the reason why you, you talk about work. That's really why like guys aren't interested in you. You're just too intimidating. And oh. I think that, that it was just like such a confidence blow. And I recently mm. wrote something, um, on Instagram about how like women, you are not too intimidating. The right man will come along and he will come alongside you and will not love you because of your accomplishments, but will celebrate you 
for your accomplishments. Mm. And Brent has never once told me I was too intimidating. He was super secure in who he was. And Mm -hmm. he like knew God's call over my life. And he is entering into that. And he's like, I see that. I see who you are. And I don't think you're too intimidating. You're just who God made you to be. And Mm. so for any girl that's listening out there and like you're waiting for your guy to come along and to, to, you think you might be too intimidating. You need to like switch how you say things or maybe not talk about work too much because you're a career woman, like confident career women will find confident men. And then God is just waiting for that to happen. So yes, it's not a promise, but I do believe that like, if you think that marriage is for you, I, I believe speaking that over your life. Right. And I think my whole thing is hope does not put me to shame. I am yes. always like, what does the Bible say? And I just am going to reflect back God's mm-hmm. promises to him. And that doesn't mean that it's like a genie or like a secret code that right. I'm like, if I say these things and pray it like this, then God's going to give me what I want because sure. the real prize is the presence of God in my life, yes. that I have access to God mm-hmm. and I can stay connected to hope and knowing that like God is for my good and for Mm -hmm. his glory. But like, I think so many women, especially, you know, we're in the like, you know, I'm independent woman. Like I got this job, like I'm chasing my career. And it's like, since we're doing that, it's like, there's almost this shame now that's around like even admitting, I do want to be in a relationship. Yeah, no, I have babies. Yeah, I'm like, I want to have babies like yesterday. Yeah. And I also think that out of fear of rejection, fear of disappointment, Mm -hmm. we shut off our hope as well because we're like, it's too risky to hope. Like if I'm honest with God, if I'm honest with myself, if I'm honest with others, then I'm putting that out there in the universe. Mm -hmm. And if I don't get it, I just, I would rather not hope. And I'm like, but God's good. Yeah, Like God's a good God. So he, Psalm 139 says, he already knows the words on my lips before they even come to my mouth. So if, if that is that, deep down desire, I'm just going to go ahead and be honest about it and then trust like, even if I don't get the thing that I want and long for, like Mm -hmm. God's still good. He's still good. It doesn't mean that I won't ever experience disappointment. Like if I don't get married, if I don't have kids, like that will be really hard for me. But I believe that I have the access and permission to really Mm -hmm. boldly own my heart's desire. Yeah. I think I I didn't do that until this year. Like at the beginning of the, I had like a really big breakdown at the end of last year where I had been ghosted by a couple of guys. I was like oh. fifth wheeling on a, on a, on a, on a trip that I thought was going to become mostly a girl's trip. It wasn't, I was fifth wheeling. And then, oh. like, and then two of my best friends who were like in my always be single box, they like both yes. got engaged. And I was just like, God, what are you doing? This is so painful. Mm. And I was like hitting rock bottom. And I kind of felt this like, you know, small voice (laughs) say to me, you know, we've never really talked about this thing before. Mm -hmm. We've never really talked about your marriage. Like I've always said, like, I want to get married, but God and I have really never had conversations and I've never really sunk into like, what do you say to be true about my life? What do you say about my identity? How does marriage fit into this? Mm -hmm. And, and like having that hard conversations that I wanted to quite frankly avoid because I didn't, I was scared the answer was going to be, no, I don't have marriage for you. Mm. So I would just encourage anybody that's listening to that, like get to that hard place where you like have those conversations. They are not fun. Mm. But I think that was through that wrestling of, I got to know God more intimately. It wasn't really about Brent. It was about getting to know God more intimately. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Well, goodness, we could just keep talking <laughs> know. from ever, from ever. Um, I'm so glad we like hit all the things we, we talked about. Eating disorder, yeah. singleness, like faith conversations, all the things. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for sharing your heart 
I'm so glad that we've gotten to connect. Will you just tell people how to follow along with you? I know you have an incredible podcast. You are doing incredible things with your business. So how can we stay in touch? Yeah, I'm on Instagram. So it's Jenna with one N, Viviano. I'm on Instagram and I'm on LinkedIn as well. And that's where really I put a lot of career content out. So I'm trying to move people to start using LinkedIn more effectively because I really think it's an awesome platform. Um, I have a podcast. Wait, give me like a 30 second evangelism of... Of LinkedIn because I don't even know my password. Oh, girl, LinkedIn. let me tell you, I did a whole episode with Jenna Kutcher on this. Because <laughs> I'm like, I am the LinkedIn person. I love LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the only platform that doesn't make you have FOMO, first and foremost. <laughs> um, and secondly, I think that what it really does is it helps us build in our professional lives. And it's not designed to make us be like professional robots. I really think the real purpose of LinkedIn is to help us to connect with real human beings. And mm. so I use it in every aspect of my life. I've gotten, I've networked galore on LinkedIn. I've gotten jobs. I've gotten interviews. My clients have gotten jobs and interviews. I've gotten contact with producers of, of Mm. like, uh, TV shows that I'm interested in that I would love to like work with that producer eventually one day. Um, I've gotten in touch with editors of magazines. I've gotten in touch with like very, very high up people in like the social media world. So anyways, Mm. all I have to say is a great networking platform. So get on LinkedIn. (laughs) Get on LinkedIn, girlfriend. If you want to do corporate sponsorships, all the corporate people are on there. So like the more Mm. corporate sponsorships you want to do, get on there because that's where they're at. So that, and then uh, Your Career Story is my podcast talking all about careers, faith at work. We talked a lot about work-life balance this summer. And then finally, if people are interested in like the faith and work conversation, um, I have a devotional that is 28 days. So it's totally free. And if you just go to www.jennaviviano.com slash word at work, that's where you're going to find that. Love it. Well, thank you, girl. I appreciate your heart. I appreciate what you're doing. And yes, I just, I feel like there's like so much goodness out there for you. And I can't wait for people to get their hands on that devotional. Check out your LinkedIn episode. I'm like, okay, maybe I need like a coaching call with you to like figure out what LinkedIn is. Um, (laughs) I love LinkedIn. But thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate your work. Really, Your work really matters. And what you're doing is really affecting people for the positive. I have friends that listen to you. I listen to you. And so um, your work matters. I know sometimes being an entrepreneur can be really hard. So I just want to give that encouragement. Thanks, girl. Thanks, girl. All right. Well, I'll talk to you very soon. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Refined Collective Podcast. If you are new here, maybe you've listened for a long time and there's topics, questions, comments, concerns that you have about what we're up to, follow us on Instagram, The Refined Woman. Send me a DM and I will get back to you and let me know what you want to hear about. Let me know what you want to talk about. And I would love to make that happen for you. Have such a fabulous day. (laughs) Bye.